Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We're so glad you're here. And uh, we have been journeying through the Gospels in a, a series called the Follow Me series. And uh, here we have ourselves uh, very near the end. We are, uh, Jesus is resurrected. He is now appearing to his disciples. And uh, man, I, I can't tell you the, um, just the relevance of what's happening in the Gospels in this particular moment and what's happening in our lives. It is so relevant because here's the thing. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? He's risen from the dead, and yet so oftentimes we doubt things that are happening in our lives. We doubt Jesus. We say, well, Jesus, I mean, I'm going through this difficult situation. I don't see how I'm going to be able to get through it. You're doubting Jesus. The same Jesus Christ that rose again from the dead, we doubt him. If he has, listen, he, he, not only did he raise from the dead, but the Bible says he rose himself from the dead. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that has been raised from the dead, let alone raised himself from the dead, but he laid his life down and he said himself, I take it back up. I have the authority to do that. If Jesus can raise himself from the dead, can he not help you in your situation? Can he not help you in, in your moment of despair? He can. And yet we doubt. That's what we're going to get into this morning, John chapter uh, 20, and we're going to look at verse 24. Stand with me, if you would, please. I'm so excited. This passage has uh, been ministering to me all week, and I'm, I'm grateful that I get to teach it to you this morning. So John chapter 20, verse 24. Here's what it says. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not uh, with them when he, Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Father, we thank you so much for this time together today. Lord, we ask you to come meet us in our doubt. Lord, there is a closet in every one of our hearts where there is something in it that we're doubting you on. You know, Lord, we're asking you right now, Lord, to open the door and to remove it. We're asking you by the, by the same power that raised you from the dead to give us the faith this morning to just say, here, Jesus, take this from me. I don't want to doubt you in this area of my life. I'm going to trust you here. And we're asking you to move mildly in our midst, Lord. We know you're here for where two or three are gathered. There you are in our midst. You're here, Lord. You want to do a work in our lives. God, we want to allow you just to come into our hearts and have your way in us today. God, just open up the floodgates of heaven today. Pour your spirit out on us. Help us to see you greater today, Lord. Help us to see you in a different light. Lord, help us to see truly how powerful you are, how good you are, how, how loving you are towards us, Lord. Come now, Lord, teach us. Transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When uh, Thomas came to this room, it was right after Jesus had left. You were kind of picking it up to where we were last week. Like Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Well, not all of them were there. 
Thomas is one of them that wasn't there. So what we find here is him show up after the fact that Jesus, you know, had come into the, come into the picture. And, and here Thomas is, and he's saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Now, not only did he appear to these very people that he's talking to face to face, but he appeared to some of them more than once. Like some of these ladies that were probably in that room were, were also, he appeared to on the very Resurrection Sunday that day, early in the morning. You know, he, he appeared to Peter very briefly. He, he appeared to these disciples. Angels also appeared to them. Uh, you know, it, it's just interesting that Thomas would not believe those whom he's been walking with for three years. Those people that God put into his life that are, are there to, help, you know, to minister to him have seen the same things that he's seen. They're saying, no, Thomas, seriously, we saw Jesus. He's, no, I don't believe you. You have anybody like that in your life? You want to punch him in the face. I mean, you're like, what do you mean you don't believe? I, I, we've been doing this for a long time. How can you not trust my word? You know, that happens when you begin to doubt. If you're taking notes, write this down. When I don't trust eyewitness accounts about Jesus, I'm doubting Jesus. When I don't trust eyewitnesses accounts about Jesus, I'm doubting Jesus. You're not just doubting me if I'm telling you about something that God's done in my life. If you're telling somebody about something that God's done in your life, they're not just doubting you, they're doubting him. Oh, I'd have to see that for myself. Why? Because you don't think God can do that? Might I remind you, he rose from the dead. Can he not help you in your situation? Now, when it comes to Thomas, what you have to understand is people automatically say, oh, yeah, yeah, doubting Thomas, right? He is plagued for the rest of eternity as being doubting Thomas. When we see him in heaven, we're going to say, hey, doubting Thomas, hey, what's going on? He's going to say, wait a second, you didn't get the whole story. You got one particular moment where I failed, man. But actually, we do have another particular one one particular thing that I think God allowed us to see in the Gospels to help us understand that Thomas is not really unlike you and I he yeah he doubted in this moment but so do you but here's the thing Thomas at one point was the only one that was willing to lay down his life to go into Bethany when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead all the other disciples said are you crazy Jesus they want to kill you why would we go back there and and it was Thomas who said Lord even if it costs us our life, let's go. We're willing to lay down our... It was Thomas who did that. You see, Thomas isn't really any... He's not much different than you and I. He's a guy that is trying to walk, but he is also a guy that is somewhat skeptical. He, he needs some information. He's not going to just take people at their word, and yet what we find is that Jesus has given him the evidence already. He said it. He said, I will raise again from the dead. So Thomas, in this moment, is just, he, he's just faltering, like we all do. And, and what it says here is Thomas says, I have to see it. I have to see Jesus. I, unless I see, you know, see in his hands the marks of the nails. i got to see him with my own eyes. Unless I place my finger into the mark of those nails. i got to touch it. Unless I place my hand into the side, I will Never believe. That is a very emphatic statement. That is an absolute statement. He's saying, I will not believe unless I see him. Is Thomas a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes, he is. 
We're not talking about an unbeliever here. We're talking about a believer like you and I. And he is saying, I got to see it. That's not walking by faith. It's not walking by faith. But, but what I find oftentimes is even in my own life, when I, when I have a lack of faith in an area, God meets me where I am. God helps me understand. Like, like he, he gives me what I need in the moment to overcome my doubt. We're going to see this in a second. If you're taking notes, that's my second point. Jesus will always give me what I need to overcome my doubt. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now check this out. Eight days earlier, really it's the eighth day, which means it's evening of the seventh day, which means it's Sunday evening. Actually, that's when the early church met, Sunday evening. And when they would gather together, here's what I find interesting. It was just the past Sunday evening that Jesus appeared. It is now, again, the next Sunday evening, and Jesus is what again? He's appearing. What does that say? When God's people gather, Jesus comes. When God's people gather, Jesus comes. He's present here right now because you're here. We're here. We are the carriers of, of God in the world. We are the church. It's not a location. When we come together, we have Jesus with us. He is here right now, right? He wants to do a great work in our lives. But when we gather, he, he shows up. Here these guys are again. They're behind locked doors. Are they trusting the Lord? Are they, they're, they're afraid for their lives. They're operating in fear. Not that you don't lock your doors. Don't be, you know, ridiculous about that. I lock my doors. I'm anal about it. But not because I'm not trusting the Lord. I'm saying these guys are fearful. They're, they're afraid of what God is, you know, they're afraid of what the Jews are going to do. They don't know if God's going to. They watch Jesus die. So they're thinking, well, he didn't save him. He's his son. He's not going to save me. You know, so they're freaking out about it. And, and here what we find, they're uncertain. They're doubting, all of them, by the way, not just Thomas. And Jesus pops through the wall again. This is a second time. And he says, Shalom Aleichem, which means peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus is saying, I'm the peace. I'm the prince of peace. I come to give peace. Peace be with you. He, he tells these guys they need his peace. And I think in that moment, when as soon as he appears and he says, Shalom Alakam, I think in that moment he looks right at Thomas and he says, Thomas, come, come here, come here, look, see the wounds, come here, put your hand in them, put your hand in my side, Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. What is God doing here? What is Jesus doing? He's meeting Thomas where he is. He's meeting him where he is. Sometimes we say, oh, God will never, ever show up if you, if you don't ever exercise faith. It's not that he's not exercising any faith. He just doesn't have enough to faith to believe that, that of these guys. He wants to teach Jesus for himself. And I find often in my life that where I am, God meets me. If I'm lacking faith in an area, he will show up. If you're lacking in an area in your life today and you're having faith and you're doubting, or you're not having faith, you're doubting God, 
What I can tell you is he's going to meet you there. He's going to reveal himself to you. Now, you can continue to doubt after that, obviously. But God will give you the evidence you need to overcome your doubt. He will show up for you, just like he did Thomas. You know, he tells Thomas, God's not asking us to believe blindly. Listen, there is plenty of evidence to, to see that he, he really did raise from the dead, that he really is, the gospel is true, that it does really take dead people and make them alive. There, there really is, you can really see that in your own life if you accept the Lord, if you allow the Lord in. You can see the change. If you haven't seen the change, then the Bible says you're not in Christ because if anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. They have changed. There's been a change, you know, and, and maybe uh, everybody else will be able to see that change. Uh, but, but the reality is that there is evidence out there. God, you know, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, all you got to do is look around. Just look at creation. You can see God's fingerprints everywhere. You know, consider our bodies and how complex they are and how they work. The fact that you can take your heart and you can slice it in a thousand different, uh, you know, sections. And they all, those little sections will beat at the same time. That is because that was designed that is engineered because God is amazing and he has made your body that way. If you just take a second and you step back and you look for the evidence that exists, you have to come to the conclusion that he is real. When you come to that conclusion and you allow him into your life, then you start to see him change you. Then you start to see him, you know, transform you. The things that you were into before that were anti, you know, that were against what the Lord would have. You kind of have a disdain for those things and you don't want to do those things anymore. Not that you're sinless, but you're, you have, a, you know, there's something within you that's welling up that says, I want to stand for righteousness. It's what happens. There is evidence. God isn't asking us to, to live by blind faith. He's given us plenty, to, to, plenty of evidence to to overcome our doubt. Now, Thomas then, he, he turns from the, um, the, un, the unbelieving mantra of, I have to see it, to now saying, to the professing mantra that says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. And here's the thing. Thomas came to the clear conclusion of who Jesus Christ was in this moment. He wasn't only his rabbi, he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good man, but he was his Lord and his God. He was not Peter's Lord and Peter's God. He was my Lord and my God. And I can tell you that if you take the time to examine the evidence and you open your heart and you're a genuine, sincere seeker and you're desiring to see who God is, you will come to the same conclusion emphatically. You will. You will, it, it, what ha, why, are those, the, why are there people, why are there religions that will reject the deity of Jesus Christ? Because they will not accept what the Bible says. That's why. Jehovah Witnesses will say, well, Jesus is a God. Is that what Thomas said here? My Lord and a God? No, he said, my Lord and my God. He said, and Jesus didn't say, wait a second, that's wrong. There's so many different places in the Bible where it declares Jesus Christ not only as Lord, but as God. If you look at the evidence in the Bible, you'll come to that conclusion. Thomas, he said, oh, I got to see you, Jesus. And when he did, the, the veil was off of his eyes. The doubt was removed. And now he really sees Jesus for who he is. He is not only my Lord, and my, but he is also my God. I remember, you know, when I first got saved, 
you know, I, I didn't, I, I struggled with the Trinity. I have to be honest with you. Maybe some of you are like me. You know, I won't say you're not too bright, but anyways, you, you get what I'm saying. But here's the thing. The reality of it was I, I had a difficult time with it. Let me tell you something. My life changed. Jesus Christ came into my life. I had the Holy Spirit within me, but I struggled with this. I didn't understand it. And so every Christian that tried to explain it to me, I'm just like, dude, that makes no sense. Makes no sense to me. No, 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 it does. You know, it's like an egg. It's like, like an ice cube. And I'm like, what? God's like an egg? He's a shell and a white and a yolk? He's like ice that goes, melts into water and it gets into steam and it's in a solid form? What? There is no analogy, folks. So don't try to make one. Let it be what it is. Here's, here's what happened to me. As I sought the Lord sincerely, transformed in my heart already, he revealed himself to me for who he really is. Here is the bigger, biggest issue, I believe, in the church, is that people are not genuinely seeking to know who he really is. That's why we're struggling with understanding some of these things about the deity of Jesus Christ. How can that be? Well, when you're God, you can do whatever you want. If you can get past the first five words in the Genesis chapter 1, the first five words in the Bible, you should have no problem with the rest of it. In the beginning, God. You should have no problem with the rest of what the Bible has to say because he's God and he's done everything. But Jesus Christ is truly God. And, and I came to that conclusion on my own just through the scriptures, seeking the Lord. What I'm saying to you is you will come to the same conclusion if you do the same. If you seek him in his word, you say, Lord, show me. Show me this. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not just going to take somebody else's word for it. I, I want to see it for myself. He will. And it will blow your mind. And this is one of those subjects that I happen to see every time. When any time it's come across in the Bible, I see it. Because it's something that God has availed my eyes to. I see it. Oh, this is, means Jesus is God here. This is awesome. Many, many scriptures. But anyway, he's given us the evidence to believe that Thomas now is a believer and Jesus says something interesting to him. Oh, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who believe, who haven't seen. You know, it's, it's really what, what is called the last beatitude by Jesus before he ascends into heaven. It is one of those blessed are you, you know. Blessed are those who, who believe in me without seeing me. What he's really saying is blessed are those who walk by faith. That's really what he's saying. Is that true or not? Are you not blessed when you walk by faith? When you walk by faith and you watch God do a work in your life, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. God is so good, you know. And as he does that in your life, you know, you're just blown away by it because that's who he is. He does these things, but he wants to, us to exercise faith. He wants us to believe. And what I found is when I exercise the faith, he, he reveals himself to me. God's faithful, man. You know, and, and sometimes what we do to God is, is we say, God, I need a sign. I need to see something. You know, we're like Thomas in a lot of ways, right? Lord, if you want me to move to Minnesota, Lord, then you'll cause it to snow in Tennessee. You know, we'll, we'll get this. Lord, I'll be the best bass fisherman in Tennessee because there's a thousand lakes in Minnesota. And why want, you know, whatever it is. And you just, these, these, these little things that you're testing God on. What does the Bible say about testing God? Don't test God. Lord, if it's really you, then you'll, you know, make this fleece dry on the ground and you'll make the ground around it wet, right? Gideon, here's what I'm saying to you is, and here, here's the deal is that's doubt. 
God is not unclear about what he wants you to do in your life, and we've, we struggle with the discernment of God oftentimes, you know, sometimes because we're battling our own feelings inside of what we want to do versus what God wants us to do. Oftentimes I've found when I don't want to do it, it's usually God. It's when I don't want to do it, it's usually him. He's like, no, no, that's what I want you to do. No, I don't want to do that. Well, yeah, I know. Okay, it is you. I knew it was you, you know? But, but you know, if you struggle with discernment, the reality of it is, is oftentimes you're battling your own feelings. And that might be one of those things that you just have to say, Lord, I need to fast and pray about this. I need to really get outside of myself, and, you know, but oftentimes we do ask him for signs, right? Say, Lord, will you show me something? Will you show me a sign on this particular issue? You know, and you know, God is faithful to show us signs. But if I'm doubting, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to doubt the sign that I just prayed to see. That's what we do. Well, I don't know if that was the Lord. Lord, will you show me one more thing? You know, and, and this is demonstrated over and over and over in the New Testament with the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and all these guys. If you're unbelieving, if you, if you want to do what you want to do, and it, you know, it won't matter what God will show you because you're going to want to do what you want to do, and you're going to do that. And then you're going to say, well, that was the will of God because it was what you wanted to do. No, take a step back. Take a step back and ask the Lord with a sincere heart, show me, Lord, and he will. He's not trying to hide his will. You know, and one of those things is when we come to that conclusion, Lord, you want me to know, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to believe that. You want me to know. Guess what? All of a sudden, you'll know. It'll be like, oh, okay, that's it, Lord, okay. But I say that to say you will have to exercise faith. You're not going to give you, you know, the clear-cut sign that says, oh, here it is, you know, and, and, and you're just going to all of a sudden believe. That's not the way it works. He said, blessed are those who believe without seeing, you know. Blessed are those ones. That's you and I. He's speaking about you and I today. He's not, he's not um, working in the same way, you know, in the same way here where he was presenting himself physically to these disciples who were the 12 that would start the church. It's, just, it's the beginning of a moment of history where God is starting something new. And so he's working uniquely and miraculously in that particular era to help them move forward, just like he does in your life as a new believer, remember? And how God would just show up and, you, you know, before you even prayed something, you're like, well, I was just going to pray that, but God already answered it. You're, you know, the, you remember that time? And now, you know, you're 20 years into it and you're like, I've been praying this for 30 years and I still haven't seen it. Lord, where are you? You know, kind of thing. It, it's because he wants you to walk by faith. He's going to cause you to increase, make you increase that, that walking by faith. So he says, blessed are you who believe. So just believe him. Just continue to believe him. Trust him. No matter what's going on in your life, just trust him. John goes on here, and he tells us why he wrote the gospel in verse 30 here. He tells us that, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. That was Christ's mission, folks to give life. That's why, he, that's why he came. He came to give life. That's what he said. I've come to give, to give life and that more abundantly. 
That's why he exists in human form in this particular moment, so that he could die and raise again from the dead so we could have life. And John says, listen, and I love this, I exist to tell you about the Son of God, about the glorious things that he's done in my life, the things that I've seen, eyewitness account, so that you'll believe. Is that so different from the call that you have on your life? Although this is written, and this is the gospel, and this is Holy Spirit inspired, is it not the same call to go out and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything that Jesus taught? It's the same call, folks. John wrote the gospel of John so, because he was following the Great Commission. Now, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, and, and it would be part of this canon of Scripture that you and I would read, and we would understand this is the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying to you is your purpose is the same. When you come to Christ, your purpose is the same purpose John had, and that's to go out and tell people about Jesus. People are trying to figure out what it, what it is that you're calling me to do, God. Well, are you doing that first and foremost? Are you making disciples? Are you in the world? Are you telling people about Jesus? Well, no, I, I want the unique thing. No, no, he's not going to give you more until you're doing the first thing, right? Like, I, I need to have the, you know, I want to be this. Well, until you're doing the very basic, he's not going to call you to more. You follow me on that? If you're here today and you're wondering, God, I don't know what my purpose is. I just told you what your purpose was. It's the purpose, the same purpose I have. It's to tell people about Jesus. My calling is different than yours. This is my calling, what I'm doing right here, right now. Standing before you, preaching the gospel. That, that's my calling. But our mission as people that, that were reborn in Christ, that have been born again, we have the same purpose, and it's to tell other people about Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote this, and that's why you and I go out and share our faith so that people may believe in, have life in his name. I love the song that we sang, you know, the, the name of Jesus is so powerful. You can have life in his name. That was John's purpose, and that was his. Now, many, many people believe that at this point in time, John was finished writing the Gospel of John because of the way that he ended that. Here's the reasoning behind my writing, and of course, I couldn't write everything that Jesus did, but you know, I'm just here to tell you that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. Believe in Him and you'll have life. Amen. And then he closes. But the Holy Spirit said, no, no, John, we're not done. We have something else that we have to deal with. Yeah, we, we took care of doubting Thomas, and that will minister to the people for sure. But there's another doubter that we have to get to, and his doubting is coming from a whole different level of doubt. His doubt is coming from a place where he has blown it in his mind to such a degree that he doesn't think that he could ever be used by God again. You know, he, he has sinned so greatly against God in his mind that he can't ever be restored to God. And, and God says, I need, I need you, uh, John, to write this story in this account because there's going to be people sitting in Calvary Chapel, Columbia, you know, on April, whatever it is, 15th, 2018 to hear this account and it's going to change their life and if that's you this morning this is for you if you've ever made a mistake in your life and you've thought that's it God can't use me God can't do anything more through me I'm done you're mistaken and I'm going to show you from scripture why that's so look at chapter 21 verse 1 
After this, Metatauta, it's in the book of Revelation. After all of these things happened, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and other two of the disciples, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Then they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. If you're taking notes, write this down. When I doubt Jesus for the present and the future, I retreat to the past for consolation. When I doubt Jesus for the present and the future, I retreat to the past for consolation. We see this in this story. Jesus, after appearing to the disciples in Jerusalem, is now going to reveal himself at the Sea of Galilee. You might recall that the angels at the tomb told the women to go back and tell Peter and the disciples to do what? Who remembers? To go to Galilee. Did they go? Uh-uh. Did they trust him? Uh-uh. Here's the thing. They waited. They hesitated. Did God say, well, because you're not operating in faith, I'm not going to reveal myself? No, he, he revealed himself. He showed himself to them. He, he revealed himself in the upper room. Where were they supposed to be, though? In Galilee. Where are they now? In Galilee. Something's going on in their hearts, and yet they're still doubting. And yet they go back to Galilee. It's, it's Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and you know, Nathaniel and Thomas. And, you know, these guys go back and, and to, to where they were supposed to be in the first place. Better late than never, folks. Better late than never. They, they are supposed to be here. And the reason they're supposed to be here is for this moment. It's for this moment. Um, he, Peter, the leader of the clan, tells the, the gang there, hey, I'm, gonna go, I'm going fishing. And, you know, that's what we do when we're lost. When we're feeling lost, when we're feeling like unusable by God is we retreat backwards. And we run to the very thing that we left thinking that it's going to be able to satisfy and it will not. You see, when you run backward to the world, to the place that God called you out of, you're running back to an empty well that is dry. It will not quench your thirst but in your doubting God in the moment and just trying to fail forward and just trying to press in and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Here's what I've done, and I'm going to trust in your forgiveness and your love. I'm going to move forward. Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going backwards. God called him out of that. He called him. He said, I'm going to take you from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. Now you're going back to fishing, Peter. What are you doing? All the rest of them do what? We'll go. You know, we'll follow you, Peter, wherever you go. You know, we'll go back fishing too. And that's exactly what they do. They follow him. Your family follows you. People around you are following you. If you're running back to the world, you may be, somebody may be following you. Be careful about the decisions that you're making. Here Peter runs back to the world, and here's what I want you to see is that he, he caught nothing. That's what the world has to offer you, nothing. He caught nothing. You run back to the world to the same dry well, you will get nothing. In fact, it'll hurt more. You'll get more hurt. Peter was falling back 
to, to his old past. He was a fisherman. Now, I'm going to give some conjecture. I don't know, you know, you, you take it for that. It's not necessarily an interpretation, but this is my conjecture here. I believe Peter, in this moment, is retreating to the past because he doubts that God can ever use him again. I think that that's what's going on in his heart. I think he's saying, God, how can God use me? I denied him three times. My Lord, three times. How would you feel? I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes. What would I feel like? I'd feel like, man, I'm a failure. God can never use me again because I've been divorced or I've been a drug addict or I've been this as a Christian. I've done these things. God can never use me again. I get where he's at. I understand the doubt that's in his heart, but here's the deal. That's not our Lord. That's not his voice. His voice is a forgiving voice. His voice is a loving voice. He calls us back into relationship, to restoration. He's a restoration, restoring God. That's who he is. And yet here we have Peter. He doesn't know if he can get over it. So he goes back fishing. And uh, again, he caught nothing. Now, look forward here. Here's, here's what happens when we, when, we, when we run to the past. You know, we're trying to find fulfillment in that. The Lord will meet us there. He always will. He'll remind us. What I, what I find interesting is he always reminds me of some monumental moment in my faith that brings me back, like that gives me faith, that helps me remember. Remember what I did there, Tim? And he does that in two different ways in this passage as he moves through here. So as we look at verse 4, he says, Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were, not, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved before, uh, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about but about 100 yards off. Now, if you're, right, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus meets my doubt with memories of my blessings from the past. Jesus meets my doubt with memories, from the blessings, uh, memories of my blessings from the past. You recall the moment here, don't you? What was happening here? They went out fishing. They didn't catch anything. And remember when Jesus first called them? He said, no. He said, Peter, launch me out a little bit so that I can talk to the people because they were pressing him back into the water. And he wanted to continue to minister to the people, right? And so Peter does what he says. He takes him out. When Jesus was done teaching the people, he, he turns to Peter in that moment. And, and you can read this in Luke chapter 5. But he said, Peter, launch out to the deep for a catch. Now, he's a master fisherman. He's been toiling all night. He's caught nothing, right? And Jesus says, go out in the, in the daytime and catch fish. That's not when you catch fish. But Peter said, nevertheless, Lord, even though we've done this all night, we've caught nothing, we'll go. And so they launch out, and guess what? They lower their nets down, and they have a net-breaking catch. You know, th this moment right here is the same moment. That's why John's eyes were opened. John realizes in this moment, this is the Lord. You know, he uses the... the, the Things of, of our memory, the past, those monumental moments in our life that he revealed himself to us, he uses again in our life to bring us back. And that's exactly what he does here. Remember when I, when I brought all that fish in? 
Here I am again. I'm going to do it again. And that's what he does. In this moment, John recognizes it was Jesus on the shore. And he says, Peter, it's the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Because Peter is, you know, he's stripped down to his underclothing. And he is, because he's fishing. You know, for some reason, Peter decides to put his cloak back on, all his clothes back on, you know, the, the clothes that he has to wear, and he jumps in the water and swims to shore. Now, how smart is that? You think, like, there's a boat. My clothes are there. Jesus is there. If I'm going to swim, I could leave my clothes in the boat, swim to shore, and then I could, that, okay, it's just me. I'm the only one that's getting that, right? No. Here, the, the reality is, is you think, like, what are you thinking, Peter? Dude, there is an incredible message in this. What I want you to see first is that Peter was stripped before he was able to recognize Jesus. And sometimes even in our Christian walk, listen to me, you don't see Jesus until you're, until you're stripped away of the flesh, until the Lord begins to strip away something in your life that's blocking him from you. You can't see him. You can't recognize his hand in your life in this moment. And Peter had to be stripped before he could be recognized. But at the very same time, when Peter did recognize Jesus, he grabbed his cloak as, a, as, a, as, a, as to say, I'm never getting back into this boat again. I'm taking, the, the, the cloak was, a, was a, a garment that was very valuable to the person. They would, you know, they would need that. It was their blanket at night. It was, you know, it served a lot of different purposes. They needed their cloak. Peter's grabbed his cloak and he said, I'm never getting back in this boat again. He turned his back on his past once again and he said, I will follow you. And that's an amazing moment for Peter because he, he finally came to this place where he, he, he realized the Lord can restore me. I know he can. It's the Lord. He appeared to me again, but it was only after he'd been stripped. It only not after he'd been stripped. Now, the first time that this miraculous catch happened, when Peter was in the boat, after he saw the fish come up, he got down on his knees and he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And that's, that's the first kind of stripping that has to happen in your life. You have to get to that place where you recognize you're a sinner that you're not a good person, really, inside. You might be morally good, and you might try and do all the right things and all that, but, but God's definition of good is perfect. And so that's why there is no good people. Only God is good, you know, at the end of the day. And, and so, you know, what we have to recognize is that we're sinners. What do sinners do? They sin. So Peter didn't change, you know, he changed his identity. He's now in Christ here in this moment, where he jumps in the water, but he's still a sinner. He's still a sinner. My point is this, that even though you're a believer today, you, you're going to fail. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your life. You, you, you don't have to, but you will. You know, there, this is these things that we don't fully trust the Lord, and so we sin against the Lord. What do we do when we sin as a believer? How do we deal with that? Peter said, God can't use me anymore. So he said, I, I got to back out. I got to walk away. No, you do what you did in the first place. You get on your knees and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you to come in my life and forgive me for these things. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's coming to that place where he is now saying, Lord, I am. I recognize it. You know, we can, 
we can get kind of confident in our walk as we walk with the Lord a little bit longer and we become self-righteous and we start to think that we're a little bit, you know, that we're, we can do it on our own and, and all these kinds of things. And, and then we fall and because we already have the incorrect mindset about who we are, we have the, then we all of a sudden have an incorrect mindset about who God is. That he can't do it. He can't help us in our situation. I love, I love the, the um, letter to the church in Ephesus. You know what it says to them? Even though they're, they're failing, they're doing good in some things, they're doing some bad things. It's if he, uh, Revelation chapter 2. He said, you left your first love. Return and do the first works you did. If you're a believer here today and, you, and you've failed and you're, 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 you're dealing with, like, can't receive God's forgiveness in your life, you need to return and love him like you did in the very first because it's no different. You're not, you're not that, a different person in, the, in that sense. You're still in sin, and God wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to do these kinds of things. And so Peter does that, and he immediately gets to shore, and all, of re- all the rest of them get to shore. And it says in verse 9, when they got out on land, then they saw a charcoal fire in place, and the fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 150 of them. And although there were many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. So with the fish, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is the second memory that Jesus is giving his disciples to help them remember so that they can move forward from out of their past back into the future so they can trust the Lord. You you recall it. It was with the bread and the fish. It was when Jesus fed the 5,000. And remember, they had nothing. They were in the wilderness, and they said, what do we have? And, and the disciples were like, dude, we don't have enough food to feed these people. Are you crazy? There's 5,000 men here and, you know, not counting women and children. What do we have here? And this little kid brings his little kipper snack. He's like, here, I got like five loaves of bread and like two fish. And, and the disciples are like, what are you going to do with this? Hey, kid, get out of here kind of thing, you know. And Jesus fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with that. Here's what he's doing here. He's, he's bringing back the memory. Here's the bread. Here's the fish. It's the same Jesus, and he is feeding them. He is feeding them. Remember, at the end of that miracle, the, 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 the disciples gathered up 12 uh, baskets full of broken fragments from two fish and five loaves. Now, how big is your problem? It's not that big, I promise you. I promise you it's not that big. He's getting them to this place where he's, he's reminding them of what he's already done in their life so that they can be prepared and built up in faith and move forward in the things that he wants to do in their life. He uses their past to move them forward into the future. And God does that in your life sometimes. He helps you to remember these things. Now, at this point, none of his disciples, they're, they're afraid to ask. You know, I don't know if it's because his body's been transformed or what's going on here, but they're, they, they know it's Jesus, but they also kind of want to ask, are you Jesus? It could be because of his new body, you know, or what, whatnot, but they're, 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 they're not sure. But they're seeing these signs, and they're saying, that's why they recognize it's Jesus. 
It's because of the, the things that he's done in their past. Jesus shows up in your life in different forms. Do you know that? Sometimes he comes in the form of your friend. Sometimes he comes in the form of a stranger. You ever had anybody walk up to you and minister to you and you just say something to you and you're just like, whoa, that was crazy. That was totally not Jesus. You know, and, and it's so specific to you that you're like, oh my gosh, man. The, and then you don't want to go in public because you think God's telling everybody your stuff. You know, you're like, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But for, for real, though, though, Jesus does show up as a stranger sometimes in your life. And if we're not careful, we'll miss him. If we're not careful, we'll discount what's being said in our life. You know who we discount the most, though? It's the ones we were the, the most common to. Of course, they can't be Jesus to me. I live with this person, you know. I see who they are. They can't be Jesus to me. Don't mistake his voice. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. And he speaks through sinful man, by the way, to sinful man to help people recognize that reality of who he is. He wants, he wants to speak to you. He wants to meet you where you are. He tells his disciples here, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not sure, but they are sure. I like that. That's kind of how I roll. I roll like that too. I'm, I'm not sure, but I am sure. But here's the thing. Some people want to make a big deal of the, the, the fish here. How many of the fish are here? 153 fish. And they'll say, well, if you take the one and you times it by five and then you divide it by three, it equals seven, which is completion. He's totally talking about, you know, what? I mean, honestly, there are some of those kind of things in the Bible. This is not one of them, I don't think. But there is a lesson in it, in, in, in the, the, the number there. The number of fish there was so great that they were blown away. And what I often find in my life is when God works in my life, it's in abundance. He doesn't just supply my need, but he supplies over and above my need. And I can give you a living testimony that is true in my life. Every day I look back and I'm just blown away at what God has done. And I promise you, if you take a second, if you just take 10 minutes and you look back on your life and you, you, you look at what God has done, you will be blown away. God is the God of abundance, folks. He doesn't just meet your need, but he exceeds your need. You know, we say it in this way in our culture. We say, I like to under-promise and over-deliver, right? God is an under-promise, and he way over-delivers, folks. He gives you a promise, and then he way over-delivers it. He does exceedingly and abundantly more. As I was meditating on this idea, I was thinking, and I think I, like, I already think heaven's going to be awesome, but man, he does exceedingly abundantly more. It's going to, I can't even fathom what it's going to be like because he's an abundant God and that's the way that he works in our lives. Jesus now shows Peter a negative memory. Sometimes we need those too. God shows us, a, he shows Peter his failure because it's not been dealt with yet and God will be faithful. I'm sorry, and if you're here today, God will be faithful to continue to reveal that hurt in your heart, that sin that you've done, and you're saying, well, why won't you forgive me, Lord? Because you've never been truly restored to him. That's why. Like, sometimes it's us dealing within our own, our, you know, the receiving of forgiveness. But sometimes it's the reality is we've never been restored to God. We've never been fully restored. We're sorry that we got caught, but we're not really repentant in our heart. Like, if we had the same opportunity again, we're not so sure we wouldn't do it. Right? Repentance is a total turning away from sin and turning to him. And sometimes there are things in our life that we hold on to, even a little bit, and we're holding on to it. And the Lord's saying, you're not fully restored yet. 
I haven't fully restored you. Now, if you're a believer, your sins are covered for sure. You're going to heaven. But in terms of having that full peace, that relationship with God that's just flowing, you know, and you, that abundant, uh, you know, joy and all of that, the Lord, you won't have that until you're fully restored. And that's what we see with Peter here. Um, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus removes my biggest source of doubt with forgiveness and restoration. And that's what he does with Peter here, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and, will, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. After uh, this, he said to show by what kind of death he was, he was to be glorified. He was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, just, just real quick, because that's why I stumbled there for a second. The parentheses in your Bible mean that isn't in the original text, just so you know that. That's an insert. Somebody wrote that, a scribe or somebody wrote that so to give clarity to the text. So if you ever see that in your Bible where something's in parentheses, or in some versions it's italicized or something like that, that means it wasn't in the original text, just so you know. So now you're like, sweet, can we move on? Yes, we can. So... After breakfast, Jesus calls Simon to himself, and he called him Peter before, right? That means rock, but Peter hadn't lived up to his name yet, so Jesus refers to him in, in, in his original name, Simon, and he says, Simon, I love how he meets Peter here. He begins with, with this professional love. Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? That might be a strange question. You think, well, of course he loves him. Uh, you know... He, 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 do you love me more than these? More than who? Some people believe that he's talking about the disciples that are there around the, 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 the fire. Do you love me more than these? Pointing to the, the other guys there. And that very well could be the case. He, do, you, do you love me more than these? Because remember, Peter said the very night of Jesus' arrest that, that even, Jesus said, all of you will deny, all of you will run away from me. You'll, you'll flee. And, and Peter said, not me, Lord. I won't do it. And, and, and he made this emphatic statement, you know, th this very bold, prideful statement that I'll never do that, even though, you know, kind of making himself stand out. Uh, hashtag don't do that, because when you, you make yourself stand out, God's going to test you in that. So, you know, that's what he did. And Jesus told Peter, you know, Peter, actually, tonight, you won't only flee, but you'll deny me three times. You'll do worse than any of them. You'll deny me three times before men. Isn't it interesting that it's around a fire here, and it was around a fire that Peter did? You see how Jesus is setting this up? It's the same idea. He's trying to get to the heart of the matter here. Pete, you denied me. Now, do you love me more than these? Now, could be that he's referring to his, to his disciples there. I think, personally, that he's saying, Pete, do you love me more than these things? And he points over to the boat and the fish and to the, to the net, and he says, do you love me more than these things? Are you going to run back to the world 
Are you going to run back to your past? Are you going to try and find some consolation or peace in that? Or do you love me more than that? Remember what Jesus said. If you love your father or your mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love anything more than you love Jesus, you're not worthy of him. Regardless of who he's talking about in this moment, the reality is, is Jesus is saying, if you love anything more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Peter says to him, Lord, and, and Jesus uses the word agape, it's agapo, it means agape, it's the same word, but it's an unconditional love, it's the same kind of love that God has for us, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm not loving that person because of how they're acting towards me, I'm choosing to love them no matter, no matter what, right? Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds to him with a different word for love, he says, yeah, I phileo you, Lord, I love you, but I love you with a brotherly kind of love. And I believe this is the humility of Peter in this moment saying, I'm not going to put myself out there like I did last time because I failed you. I, I can't possibly claim to love you that way, Lord. Look what I've done. This would be the equivalent of God appearing before you today and saying, hey, Tim, do you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might? Lord, I love you. If I'm being honest with the Lord, here would be my best answer to him. I want to. Lord, I want to love you that way. Show me. Help me. In Peter's moment here, you know, he's saying, Lord, I love you, but I don't know if I can love you. I don't know. Without your help, I can't love you the way that you're asking me to love you, but I do love you. And you know what I love about God is when we love him, even with a human kind of love, he says, you know what, I can work with that. I can work with that. You've turned your heart to me. I can transform it. I can put the agape kind of love in your heart. I have to do that. But, but the fact is you do love me and you do want to do what's right. And here's what he does. Feed my lambs. What did he just say to him? He said, Pete, you're back in business, bud. You are now restored and commissioned to be an under-shepherd in the church. Notice it's feed my lambs. He goes, on to a, he goes on two other times. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. Oh, Peter, good. That's, I'll work with that. Tend my sheep. He comes to the third time. Peter, do you? And then Jesus changes the word. Do you phileo me? And at this point, Peter's undone. He's just like, Lord, and he's just ashamed. No doubt. Lord, you know. You know all things. You know that I love you. And the Lord says to him again, feed my sheep. I've restored you. Your sin is gone. Three times you denied me. Three times I restored you. You are now commissioned for ministry. Contrary to popular belief in Christian circles, folks, people can make mistakes and come back into ministry. Is this not the, the account of that? I love how the high church, the, 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 the staunch, you know, you know and, and, and I get that it's ho about holiness, and I, I'm 100% agreeance in holiness, but we're sinners, right? And God can restore sinners. And so when a pastor stands in a pulpit and he fails, that is a grievous act, dude, and there's not, that should not be taken lightly. And that person shouldn't be ushered right back into a pulpit. 
but could he ever be used again in his entire life? Could he ever be used again? I think this says yes. There are many, many people in Christian circles that will say, no way, no way. Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not, it's grace all the way around. And, and it, although it was a, if somebody falls publicly, they need to be restored publicly. There needs to be a public process. You don't just, you know, and this isn't one of these things, well, I, can, I repented and so God forgave me and now I'm back in ministry. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. There's a process. And I think God uses the elders in the church and I think he uses the, the church body to, to walk through that. And when you see genuine repentance in somebody and you see that they're genuine about their, their profession and they want to move forward, they really, you know, have, have received that forgiveness and, and all, then God will use them. You know, be careful about the kind of, kind of rules we make in our Christian walks about how God can and cannot do things. Because this shows me that God can do that. Will he do that with everyone? It's all a matter of repentance, right? It's all a matter of the person's heart. Peter was genuine, man. He wanted to be restored. He was so repentant at that moment that it says he went and he wept, he wept bitterly, man. He was so sad that he blew it. And as I mentioned to you before, Peter for the rest of his life will live with that. People sitting in the back of the pews as he would teach and they would go, cock-a-doodle-doo, cock-a-doodle-doo, you know, and he would just move forward. Why? Because he's not serving man, he's serving God. You have to remember who you're serving, folks. Peter's restored in this moment and Jesus says, oh, Peter, now you take care of my sheep. He is an under-shepherd. He's not the shepherd. They are his sheep, not Peter's sheep. They're not my sheep. They're his sheep. And I just get the opportunity to feed and tend and to care for people, those, those people that God has put in my path, called to do that. Peter was called to do that. Listen, Peter denied Jesus, and that was a grievous sin. But Jesus restored him. And if you're here today and you're feeling like you can never be used by God because of something that you've done, the Lord wants to tell you that he can, but he needs to restore you. You need to come to him. You need to ask him for forgiveness and help him. He'll, he'll help you through that process. Well, Peter, <laughs> you know, is staying true to form here in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is uh, my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So, they saying, so the saying spread among, uh, abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them, writ uh, every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that were written about him. And here's what happened. was Peter. Jesus told Peter at the end of um, at verses 18 through uh, 19 how he was going to die. Peter, you're going to die. You're going to stretch out your arms. You're going to be crucified. That's exactly how he died. P 
Peter in this moment says, what about him? <laughs> I'm going to die that way. What about him? You know, what about the one that beat me to the tomb? What about the one that leaned against your breast? What about that one? And I love the Lord's response. Pete, it's not any of your business what I do with that one. You just follow me. And sometimes we need to hear that. How come, this, how come you're not doing this in my life? How come you're not blessing me this way? How come you haven't called me to do this? How come you haven't done this or that? Hey, stop looking at somebody else and just follow me. Do what I've told you to do and don't worry about it. Now, John writes this, the Holy Spirit, again, I think the restoration of Peter is crucial to, our, to the church, but I also think that people needed to understand that John was going to die. Jesus did not say here, I'm not, you know, John's going to be eternal. He's not going to see death. No, that's not what he said. He said, if, if I did that, what's it to you, Peter? You just follow me no matter what. So John had to clear that up, and that's exactly what he does. The end of it here is this. Jesus is calling us to follow him. Not once, but all your life. That's the reality, folks. You know, and as you stumble along the way, God is going to be faithful to draw you back to him. You know, and, and you have to be willing to come. Hear the disciples, even in their doubt, they're, they're still, you know, looking for the Lord. They want to see him work. They're sincere about their relationship with God, and yet they're, they're struggling, and, you know, much like we do. And the Lord meets them. And so the, the, the story is this. Continue to follow the Lord. Continue to walk the way that he calls you to walk. Do what he asks you to do. Listen, if you blow it, come to him. You know, get, get right with him. Don't allow anything to stop you from following him. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, we thank you, man, for all of this information today, God. And I just pray, Father, that you move mightily in our midst today, God, that you, any doubt that is in our heart, Lord, that you just remove it, God, today, even right now, that you help us to see that you, you can and you will if we trust you. All we have to do is reach out to you today, Lord. You're here. We have to just sincerely seek you, and, and you will unveil yourself to us. You'll, you'll help us to see that you're right here in our midst, that you want to restore. That's who you are. You want to give us life and that more abundantly. You want to forgive us, Lord. And if we're a believer, we're already forgiven. We just need to come to you and just allow that restoration to happen for, the, for our relationship with you. And so we're asking today, Lord, that you just move us more into the uh, realm of faith, Father, that you help us to, as we doubt, that we're honest with you, God that we don't try and play church, but, and we're not too worried about what everybody else is doing, but we just are simply following you, Lord. So we ask you, Father, for every person in this place, that you renew that specific call on our lives, Lord, that we're, that we're commissioned to go out and tell people about Jesus, and that we're faithful with that, God, that we don't let anything in our lives hinder us from it. And we ask for forgiveness to just come in this place today, Lord. So, Father, we, we just pray your spirit now. Move it at the end of this service, God, and you help us to respond to your word. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.